Well, good morning. So good to be here with everybody. Uh, great day to worship the Lord together. I really, really appreciate you being here. And those of you who are joining us online, uh, sometimes we forget to mention that, but we do have some joining us online, and we're glad you're with us as well. But thank you for, for being here this morning. Uh, before we get started, I do want to make a mention of a, a couple special prayer requests. Um, many of us know Holly Hall has been uh, ha had some surgery on her jawline, and she has really struggled with the, the healing. Uh, the wound is not healing right, and uh, she's really struggling with that. And uh, we would just want to mention her uh, in our prayers, and we're going to say a prayer in just a moment. Um, but please, please keep Holly in your prayers. Um, uh, Holly and Glenn do some great, great work here, and we really appreciate them. And uh, she's just struggled with this. And so let, let's pray for her. And I was also talking to Ross before service. He mentioned that his grandmother was having some, some back issues. And so we want to pray for her as well. And we know that can be back trouble is nothing to mess with. And so uh, we want to pray for these two folks. Let's, let's take a moment and bow in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for your love. And as we just sang, Father, we're in need of it. And we're in need of, of everything that you give. And, and Father, we're just so thankful that you bless us in so many ways, that you did give us your son so that we could be reconciled to you and have that forgiveness. Father, we, we pray right now for uh, some people in our congregation, and I know there will be more mention in the announcements in a few minutes, and there's more in the bulletin, but we want to make special mention right now of Holly Hall. Father, we pray that uh, she will heal, her jaw will heal up, and the wound will, will heal, heal correctly, and she'll be able to move on. Father, we pray that you just bless her and, and Glenn and the family in this time. Father, we pray for Ross's grandmother who's been struggling with some back issues, and we pray that she could be healed as well, Father. We know that that prayer works, Father, and that you're hearing us, and we know you'll move to answer. And Father, whatever your answer may be, we will accept it, Father. And we're, we're thankful that you do hear us, and, and Father, you move to act on our behalf. And we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Um, about, uh, about six months ago, Haley and I welcomed in our first child into the world, uh, Miss Paisley Ann Presley. Um, and I know many of you have met Paisley. Many of you have held her or at least seen her. Um, she just brings us so much joy. We've loved being, being parents. Um, we knew it coming into to being parents, but when she was born, it became abundantly clear just how helpless uh, a little infant really is. Uh, I remember, I will never forget this as long as I live, uh, the, the day that we were in the hospital. It, Paisley was born at 6.18 p.m. at Providence Hospital. And from about 6.18 p.m. to the wee hours of the morning, she cried. Cried and cried and cried. Now, she stopped for maybe a minute, but she cried and cried and cried. And we knew that, that it was on us to, to take care of her. Uh, we, we believed that she was having some stomach issues. And, um, but just like any other child, she was adapting to a new environment. She was in the womb for nine months, comfortable and warm, and now she was in this, this odd world that she had never seen before, and she was likely cold, likely scared, and she was just crying and crying and crying. And we knew we had to take care of her. We had to take care of her needs because she couldn't do anything for herself. And really still, at six months, or almost six months, she still really can't do much for herself. She can't change her own diapers. She can't put her own clothes on. She can't feed herself. She can't eat solid food yet. She, she can't walk or talk. She's really dependent on me and Haley to take care of her every need. And we have several babies 
that have just been born. We've talked about that a lot. And these parents know what we're talking about, and I know we have a lot of parents in the audience. You know that infants, they're, they're not mature enough to, to handle certain things. Now the hope is that my daughter and all these other babies that are here will grow up and become fully mature adults that can take care of themselves. But right now they're not mature enough to, to do that. They need somebody to help them. Now the reason why I, I bring that up is because this morning we're going to be talking about becoming mature in our faith. And, and we get a picture in scripture of when we become Christians, and we're baptized into Jesus Christ, that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning. We're infants in Christ. We're immature in our faith. And the hope is that we grow up, just like we grow up into mature adults, the goal is that we mature and we become mature in our faith. We become full grown in our faith. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, is going from being an infant in Christ to being a mature adult in Jesus Christ. And I want to look just very quickly at a few verses. This idea is really all throughout Scripture. And in particular in Paul's writings, he writes about maturing in our faith. Let's look at a couple verses from Paul. Colossians 1, verse, uh, 128 and 29 says this, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete or mature in Christ. For this, for this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Paul says, it's not just my goal to get people to the water and baptize them. Absolutely, I want to do that. But I want to see them through to completion in their faith. I want to present every man mature in Jesus Christ or complete in Jesus Christ. And he says, that's what I work for with all the power that's, that's working within me to present everyone mature in Christ. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, Paul says this, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. He's saying you've got to be mature in your thoughts. You've got to be mature enough to notice evil and, and be infants in evil. In, in essence, he's saying don't even be partakers of evil. Don't even understand it. Be infant in, in evil, but in your thinking, you've got to be mature. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, probably the most clear passage from Paul on, on maturity. He says this in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he, Jesus, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Paul's saying that Jesus Christ set aside some to be these leaders within the church. And, and the point of these leaders is to help us achieve unity, to build us up, to achieve unity, to become a mature man, a mature Christian, measuring up to the stature of the fullness of Christ, becoming more and more like him. And so we see this idea Throughout scripture, that, this is just a few examples of, of just Paul's writings of becoming mature in our faith or becoming complete in our faith. But that begs the question, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to become mature or complete in our faith? Well, the Greek word for, for mature or complete here is teleos. Teleos. And, and here's what Strong's Concordance says. They say the definition of this word is perfect, complete in all its parts, full grown of full age 
especially of the completeness of Christian character. Helps Word Study says this, from going through the necessary stages to reach the end goal that is developed into a consummating completion by, by fulfilling the necessary process. And so what this word really means is that we go through this process of growth where we start off as infants in the faith and, and we can't handle certain things, maybe certain principles, certain practices, but we grow and we become full grown in our faith. We become complete in, in our faith. Now, the thing is, in an essence, we never will be truly perfect or complete. There's always room to grow. But there is a point at which we can become mature in our faith, where we can understand the deep principles, where we can understand what it's like to, to, to live like Jesus Christ. And that's really the best way that I've heard Christian maturity explained, is that you live more like Jesus Christ than you do like the world. That your mind thinks like Jesus Christ would think. You act like Jesus Christ would act more than you do the world. You think and act like him. And that's really what Christian maturity is. And it's a process. It's a process that we go through and it really doesn't ever stop. And it, it kind of echoes that the words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect. The word there is teleos. Be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. We'll never truly achieve perfection because we're sinful. We're sinful human beings, but we are striving for that perfection. And we work towards being complete or full-grown in our faith. That's what we're talking about this morning. We don't automatically start off mature in our faith. We're, we're not automatically uh, more patient and kind and tender and loving when we come out of the waters of baptism. It takes time to grow those things in our lives. And that's what we're talking about this morning. To, to flesh this point out a little bit more, let's flip over to the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to go through Hebrews chapter uh, 5, the end of it, and go into Hebrews chapter 6. And what prompted me to do this is we actually did a study on Hebrews last week in our young adult class. And it just really prompted me to want to do a, an actual a sermon on this. And so that's what we're going to be talking about, Hebrews chapter 5. But before we actually start reading, I have to lay some groundwork, uh, the context here. And this is just a side note. Uh, I had a professor in college named Matthew Conley at Faulkner. And he said, anytime you want to understand a passage in Scripture, the most three most important things you have to consider, context, context, and context. He said it over and over again. And you cannot, you cannot pull a passage out of its context and just try to apply it. We have to read it within its context. And if we don't understand the context of this passage, we won't get this, this uh, what we're going to be reading about maturing in our faith. So in Hebrews chapter 5, what the Hebrews writer is doing is he's trying to talk about the high priesthood of Jesus. And it could be a, a pretty difficult subject. The problem is Jesus did not come from the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi is where the priest would descend from in the old law. The priest came from the tribe of Levi, and in particular, the family of Aaron. And, and the Hebrews writer is going to say, listen, Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi, but he gets his priesthood from a man named Melchizedek. And now this is not something we have time to dive into completely, but, but basically Melchizedek is a man who shows up in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham saves his nephew Lot from this massive war between these kings, these several kings. And his nephew Lot was taken in the war. And Abraham goes and captures Lot and brings him back. 
And after this war, Melchizedek shows up. We don't really get a whole lot about Melchizedek, but he blesses Abraham. He's mentioned as the king and priest of Salem. And he blesses Abraham, and Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils of the war. This is in Genesis 14, if you want to go back and read it. And so the Hebrews writer is going to say, Jesus gets his priesthood from this guy named Melchizedek. And that's where we want to pick up is in Hebrews chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 11, as he's talking about Jesus' priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. He says this, starting in verse 11. Concerning him, Melchizedek, and Jesus' priesthood, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. I know we read into another chapter, but remember in, in uh, the original language, there was no chapter division. So we were reading right through. He's continuing the thought into chapter 6. He's trying to teach his readers about Melchizedek and Jesus' high priesthood. And he's saying, listen, this is, this is kind of hard to explain because you've become dull of hearing. You've not been hearing what I'm trying to teach you and you've not been growing in your faith. Now, dull of hearing, it doesn't mean that you're just detecting somebody's voice. Hearing here actually means that you hear and you understand what you're hearing and you're applying it to your life. And he's saying to the Hebrews readers, you, you're dull of hearing. You have not been listening. You've not been taking in your spiritual learning and applying it to your life. You've become dull of hearing. And, he, and in this passage, he makes a, a distinction between the immature Christians and the mature Christians. He's saying that, that the immature feed on milk, just like an infant. I was talking about my, my daughter. They, they have to have milk first. They don't just automatically start eating meat right, right off the bat. They have to have milk. That's what the immature have is, is the milk. And that represents the elementary principles of, of the faith. But the mature feed on meat, on the solid food of, of the faith. Maybe the more uh, deep principles and the, the deeper teachings of the faith. And he's saying, by now, you should have been at this point where you're taking in the solid food. You should have been at the point where you could teach other people what I've been teaching you, what you've been learning. But right now, you need to be taught the elementary principles once again. You've got to be taught all over again the, the foundational principles because you're not grown yet. You're immature in your faith. And notice what he says. Anyone who's an infant in the faith is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. The ESV says that they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now again, at some point, when we first start our faith, we are infants, and that's okay. That's not what he's condemning right now. What he's condemning is people who have been Christians for a while, and they're not growing. People who have been in the Word and have, have, have known Jesus Christ, and they're failing to progress. He's saying, you're unskilled in the Word of righteousness if you do that. If you stay an infant in the faith, you've got to grow. And if you don't grow, you're not 
you're not skilled in the word of righteousness. And I found a quote from a man named Zane Hodges. He says this, It's not so much that a spiritual infant lacks information, though at first he obviously does, but rather that he has not yet learned to put the teaching about righteousness to effective use. He lacks the skill which goes with maturity and which results in the ability to make appropriate moral choices. Such ability is exactly what is possessed by those who have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. That kind of person can handle solid food. And so the Hebrews writer is, is basically condemning his readers for not growing in their faith, for staying at the elementary principles and not maturing to, to, to the solid food. They're staying on the milk. And he's saying, you've got to progress. And that's what the, the conclusion of these verses, he says, let us press on to maturity. The elementary principles are so important. And we're doing a study on the fundamentals. We, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Those are important. But we have to build upon those. We have to build upon the foundation. Now, it's interesting, the elementary principles, and this is just kind of a side note. The elementary principles that he mentions there in chapter 6. Repentance from dead works faith toward God, instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Some of those principles seem to be pretty deep principles, but the Hebrews writer is saying these are elementary principles that you should have known by now and you should have gotten down, and you've got to press on to other things. It's, it's just interesting to me that, that you know, some of those things, like the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, they can be hard things to grasp. But he's saying, you should have had that by now. And you need to be progressing in your faith. I do want to read a, a couple more verses here because it, it fits within this context. But these are some of the most difficult verses, probably, definitely in the book of Hebrews, maybe in the New Testament. But let's continue reading Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Right after this, he says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Again, these are really difficult verses, and what people like to point out about this is the section that says it's impossible for someone who's fallen away to renew them again to repentance. And there's a lot of different ideas of what's going on here. Some people say that, that the Hebrews writer is really not talking about Christians here because true Christians can't fall away. But the context is clear he's talking about Christians. Because look at the, what he's talking about is, is the people who have tasted the heavenly gift, have been enlightened, have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. And within this context, he's talking about Christians growing. So he is talking about Christians. He's talking about those who have been enlightened in the faith. And then have fallen away. Others say that Paul is saying, hey, once you become a Christian and you fall away, you have no shot of ever coming back again. And that's not what's being talked about here either. Because we know from other things in Scripture, the prodigal son came back to the father. James and Paul talk about restoring a brother who is lost. So, so it's not that somebody who falls away is, is completely lost forever. We have to, again, fit this within the context. And in the context, the reader, I mean, the writer is talking about maturing in our faith. And he's continuing that thought here because he says, for, look at verse 4. He says, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened. He's, he's going back to what he's been talking about. For points back to what we just read a moment ago about pressing on to maturity. So what's the Hebrews writer saying here? 
I think the Hebrews writer is, is saying that those who have become Christians and have tasted all the blessings from God, been partakers of the Holy Spirit, been enlightened, and, and been given all this, this blessing by God, if they don't press on to maturity, they're in danger of falling away. If we've tasted all, all that God has given by enlightening us and forgiving our sins, and yet we don't grow and we don't mature in our faith, we're in danger of falling away. And if we fall away, the impossibility of repentance is on us. It's not on God's part. He's done his part. He's given us all those blessings, enlightened us, given us the Holy Spirit, and so on and so forth. He's done his part. But it, it, it's our part that we have to do. And, and I think he's saying that these people who have hardened their hearts so much that it's impossible for them to repent because they're just continuing to re-crucify Christ, in essence, is what he's saying. So I, I think Martel Pace in his uh, commentary on the book of Hebrews, kind of sums this up really well. He says this, Hebrews 6, 4 to 8 is a pointed passage which brings before us an alarming truth. If we do not go on to maturity, we will be in danger of apostatizing or completely falling away from the faith. Why is it said to be impossible to renew some people again to repentance? The apostates mentioned in our text had received so many blessings that their indifference to spiritual matters was crucifying to themselves the Son of God and putting him to open shame. The disposition of their hearts made this action ongoing and eliminated the possibility of true repentance. However, if the continual crucifying were to cease, then they might be renewed to repentance and avoid the apostate's end. Why is the apostate so hopeless? Because he's allowed his heart to be hardened to the point that he cannot repent. Such persons are worthy of condemnation because they have not merely failed to believe Christ, but they have disgraced him before the world. And so I think that what the Hebrews writer is really trying to do is warn us that if we're not growing in our faith, if we're just stagnant, we're in danger of falling away. We're in danger of, of completely leaving the faith. And so we always have to press on to maturity, to growth in our faith. And, and again, the impossibility, it doesn't say that it's impossible for someone to be saved again. It says it's impossible to renew someone to repentance. There's nothing that can be done for somebody on the outside. It has to come within their heart. There's nothing, that, nothing else God can do for them. He's already blessed them in so many ways. He's given them this, the enlightenment, and yet they've turned away. They have to come to their senses like the prodigal son did. But he's warning us that if we're not growing, we're in danger of falling away from the faith. I want to read one more quote here um, by a man named Brent Kirkaville. He's the preacher at the West Palm Beach Church of Christ. And I think he, he really sums this up well, well too. He says this, The intention of the author is not to cause Christians to wonder if they are saved or to think that they cannot have security in their salvation. The warning is that if we do not move on to maturity, there is a danger of falling back. The Christian does not sin once and is then lost forever. There's a process of falling away. It begins with spiritual laziness and apathy. It begins with not wanting to grow in the Lord. It begins by retracting the basics about God's teaching. It begins by staying in the milk and not progressing to the solid food of the scriptures. It begins by remaining unskilled in the word of righteousness. I hope we see how important it is to connect this paragraph in Hebrews with the last paragraph. The Christian is making the willful decision to not grow but stay a spiritual baby. So they have enjoyed the blessing and benefits of Christ, but nothing else happens. There's no growth and no depth. The person is under delusion of their spiritual condition. 
Please consider that this is exactly what this writer said back in chapter 2, warning these Christians that they are neglecting their salvation and are drifting away. They're not pressing forward. Therefore, they're falling back and there's no way to rescue them when they do that. The big point for us to place into our hearts is that true saving faith is not mere knowledge of the gospel. True saving faith is not intellectually affirming the teachings of Christ. There must be spiritual growth or there will be spiritual death and there's nothing anyone can do for you. The effect of a lack of growth is that they are crucifying the Son of God again to their own harm and holding him in contempt. I, I hope we see the danger of not growing in our faith. The danger of, of just staying unskilled in the word of righteousness, of staying on the, on, the, on the spiritual milk. We have to progress. We have to keep growing in our faith to the solid meat of the word. We can't stay at the same spot. There's a real danger of falling back. So very quickly, how do we mature in the faith? How do we not just stay at the same spot? How do we keep going, keep progressing? Well, we're going to find this straight from Hebrews, what we've read. Number one, we have to hear the word. We have to hear the word. Remember in Hebrews 5.11, we were talking, he says they become dull of hearing. We cannot become dull of hearing. And again, it's not just hearing my voice right now. It's hearing it and taking it and understanding what we've heard. Sometimes we teach hard things from the pulpit. Sometimes we teach hard things in the Bible class. And you may not understand it. That means you have to go search the scriptures. It takes effort on our part to learn, to grow. And, and I think about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 when Paul was teaching them. It says that they went and searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was actually so. And that's what we have to do sometimes. We have to, you know what, I didn't really understand what was said there. I need to search the scriptures a little bit more to, to really realize what was being said. It takes work on our part. We can't just rely on what's being, being said by others. It, it's great to hear the word, obviously. But at some point, we've got to put the work in. And it's not just hearing a message from the pulpit or in Bible class. We also hear by reading God's word. Because that's how God speaks to us, right? God speaks to us through his holy word. And so we've got to be digging in it. And sometimes you're going to run a, across something that's hard to understand. And that's when you have to do the digging. We have to do the searching and finding the answers. We can't be dull of hearing. And when you've, become, when you've been a Christian for years and years and years, it's really easy to just be accustomed to it and just kind of go through the motions each week. I'm not saying anybody does that here, but I've done that before in my life. I've come and just sat in the pew and listened and not really applied it or, or really tried to understand it. And that, that's what he's warning us about. Don't become dull of hearing. You've really got to listen and understand what's being said. Number two, he's saying you have to practice the word. It's not just hearing it. It's also putting it into practice. That's uh, uh, what he says there in ch uh, chapter 5, verses 13 to 14. He says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So we hear the word and we understand it, but then we apply it to our lives and we start actually doing it outside of these walls. When we leave the church building, what we've heard is applied to our lives and it changes us. We really let it affect our lives throughout our week and we take it to our work, we take it to school, we take it to our families. It's an application of the word. It's not enough to just hear it. You actually have to do it. And that's what James says in James 1, 22. 
Do not be merely hearers, but also doers of the word. We have to be practicing what we're hearing each week in in service. And when we read the scripture, it's not enough to just hear it. We have to go beyond that and actually do it. We actually have to start putting it into practice. And notice what he says, once we do this, who because of practice are able to discern between good and evil, will then be able to understand, hey, that's right and that's wrong and we can choose the right thing. But it's about hearing the word and then doing it. And then finally, what he says is we have to press on to maturity. That's in chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. He says, leave the elementary teaching about the Christ. Let us press on to maturity. It's a battle. It's something that we're going to have to continually do is grow in our faith. And it takes work on our part again. We've got to keep pressing on. We've got to keep moving forward in the faith. It's like, I'm reminded of what Paul says, run the race and finish the faith. It it takes us pressing on to maturity. And I think he's just saying, you've got to put the effort in. You've got to to be able to, to continue on. Even when you hit a roadblock, you've got to press on to maturity. You can't stop. You can't just retract. You've got to keep pushing forward in the faith. And if you're not, you're in danger. We've got to keep progressing. And so if you're hearing the word, really taking it in and trying to understand it, and then you're practicing it, and you are pressing on to maturity, you will become a mature Christian. You will become complete in your faith. And Christ will make sure he sees it through if you are doing these things. He wants to see you grow. He wants, you to, see, he wants to see you become like him. And so I'm asking us, let's all take some spiritual inventory this morning and look, where am I? Am I acting more like Christ or more like the world? Last thing I want to say, I want us to, to, to warn, I want to warn everybody of one thing, and it's this simple thing, complacency. I think complacency is a really, really, really real danger for Christians, especially for people who have been in the faith for a very long time. Again, I've, I've kind of already mentioned this. We can get to a spot where we think, hey, I'm good. I've been in the faith for a long time. I understand it. I understand what's being said. But there's always, always room to grow. Always. I have so much to learn from Scripture. There are passages I come across and I'm just thinking, what is going on here? And I need to grow. I need to learn. Don't fall into complacency. Don't get to a point where you think, I'm done. I've gotten where I'm at and I'm, com- I'm, I'm good. No, you may be mature in your faith. That, that is wonderful. We want everyone to be mature, but it doesn't stop. We have to keep going. Beware of complacency. And I found this quote. I, I can't remember where, uh, where this was found from, but uh, it says this. Complacency is a blight that saps energy, dulls attitudes, and causes a drain on the brain. The first symptom is satisfaction with things as they are. The second is rejection of things as they might be. Good enough becomes today's watchword and tomorrow's standard. Complacency makes people fear the unknown, mistrust the untried, and abhor the new. Like water, complacent people follow the easiest course downhill. They draw false strength from looking back. There's a real danger of being complacent in our faith. And the Hebrews writer is saying, don't become complacent. Push on to maturity. Don't ever stop growing. Don't ever stop learning about the principles of the faith. Because when you do, that's the point at when you're in trouble. Let he who stands take heed lest he fall. Let's not fall. Let's keep progressing in the faith and produce 
righteousness and, and good works and do what God would have us to do to become a mature man, a mature woman in the faith. This morning, if you're struggling with your faith, if you feel like you have slidden back a little bit, we'd love to pray with you. If you've never become a Christian and you, you haven't started feeding on the, the spiritual milk, we'd love to, to get you to that point where you can then start growing. If you have a need this morning, we, we want to help you with that need. But I challenge everybody this morning, let's grow in our faith. Let's not, let, let's not settle for just good enough. Let's continue to grow. If you need help, if you need anything this morning, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.